read um, from verse 1 through verse 14. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the Spirit, the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. And Lord, we do pray that you would uh, open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us out of this passage. You, you know each one of us, and you know where we're at in our lives, where we're at in our spiritual walk, whether we know you or we don't, whether we are uh, new in, in our faith or we are a long time in our faith. You know whether we're struggling with sin and temptation and kind of losing that battle or whether we are normally living a very victorious life. You know all these things. You know which what each one of us needs uh, from this portion of scripture and through the Holy Spirit this morning. So we pray that you do your good work in us for the glory of your name. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. So we are in this portion of the letter of Paul to the Romans, a letter that is written to explain in detail the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, why we need it, because we are sinners, how we get it, my faith in Jesus Christ. And now in this center section, this peak of the letter, it's the high point, like, as I mentioned, it's like Denali rising above all the other mountains. Uh, this is kind of the, the highlight of the book. It's not going to be done after chapter 8, but it is the peak of the letter where he's explaining God's salvation. And what he's basically doing in, in chapter 6, 7, and 8 is, is showing how God's 
uh, the impact that the gospel makes in our life. Once we're justified by faith, what happens? Well, we, are, we become dead to sin, chapter 6. No longer has uh, the right to rule over us. We're dead to its penalty and its power. And then chapter 7, we're, we're dead to the law. It no longer has the right and dominion over us to uh, cause us to feel guilt and shame over our sin for breaking the law. Why? Because Christ died to the law and we died to the law in him. He fulfilled it and then died for our breaking of it. And then in chapter 8, he's, he's, he's saying it's all about living in the Spirit. It's all about being alive in the Holy Spirit. That's the difference maker. It's not the law. <laughs> the law, as Brian was just uh, reviewing Romans for us a little while ago, it's not the law. It doesn't have the ability to save you. It can't. It can only point out that you need a Savior. Um, but the Holy Spirit, he is the one that regenerates our dead spirit. You know, Titus 3, washed by regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, he is the one that draws us to repentance and then gives us the gift of faith so that we would believe. In the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who's doing all this in us. What a great transformation that Paul is uh, describing here. So in chapter 8 so far, uh, we've seen that Christians are not condemned. There's no pronouncement or execution of God's judgment, his holy wrath against sin that will ever touch us. Because Christ, in Christ we have been pardoned from it. We've been set free from the law of sin and death, he said. And, uh, and that was through the law of the spirit of life. And, and the reason we are pardoned is because Christ paid the penalty. Christ bore our sin in his body as he hung on the tree. And consequently, we don't bear the consequence of our sin. He's already done it. It's like, that's all of our sin. All that we have committed before we believe, all that we are presently committing, as weak as we are, and, you know, still living in this body that can be so easily tempted, and, and all, all that we will do that is dishonoring to God in the days ahead until we receive our glorified body. He paid the penalty for all that sin. And, and, and yet, he said there was a purpose for him doing that. And that was in order that the righteous re requirement of law would be fulfilled in us. So, you know, we saw that you can't keep the law. And, and, and now we saw that we are keeping the law. We're just not doing it in and of ourselves. We're doing it because the Spirit of the Holy Spirit has uh, come into us. And... He fulfills the righteous requirement of law in us. It's not us doing it or keeping it. It's him doing it through us to the glory of God. And that brings us to verse 5 through 11, where Paul speaks in detail about two categories of people, two types of people. Now, this, this shouldn't be difficult for us to understand, uh, you know, that you would put everyone into these two groups we kind of we kind of break the world down that way on a regular basis uh, we generally uh, can refer to countries or nations as either superpowers of which i guess there's only one now is what they say 
or third world nations. You're either it or you're not, right? We think of citizens in our own country in a political way of thinking as either being Democrats or Republicans or being left or right or being um, conservatives or being progressives or being rational thinkers or lunatics. And you get my point. It would generally seen as two categories. Remember COVID? You remember COVID, right? With COVID came the distinction of either being an anti-vaccinator or a vaccinator. A masker or a non-masker. Uh, and never the twain shall meet. It, it, you know, money. Money often separates people into two categories, either you're rich or you're poor. Well, yeah, well, what about the middle class? Well, they say that that's kind of disappearing in our nation anyway, but that isn't how people think. Anyway, the the poor think anyone that has more than them are rich, and the rich think that anyone that has less of them is poor. So it's two categories. And it should be clear to all of us that there are either lovers or haters of avocados. Guacamole. We had uh, we had a brief discussion in our life group a couple weeks ago about uh, because someone had brought some uh, guacamole for the tacos that we were eating and and it was like a split group. Yuck, yuck! Oh, that's horrible. Or as I love guacamole, it's like and how can you love that stuff? It's so disgusting. It's like so I'm not the only one. Although I do get uh, frequent uh, cute little text messages from Rob Dickfoss where he's, he's got another avocado thing going uh, to point out to me. It's two categories. But the point is clear that people are often categorized into two groups. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in this next section of Romans 8. He goes into a fairly extended description of those who are in or of the flesh and those who are in or of the the spirit we just read that and the question that needs to be addressed then when you read these verses is who is paul referring to when he speaks of those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit now it's the view of some that the distinction that he's making between the flesh and the spirit is describing two kinds of Christians, two types of Christians, those who are spiritual and those who are carnal, those who are living under the influence of the Holy Spirit and those who are living under the influence of the flesh. However, while it is true that the believers are progressively sanctified by the Spirit of God, and those that are young in the Lord struggle a little more with fighting off sin and temptation and that kind of thing than those who have been in the faith and have grown in in uh, the word and in their relationship with God. They struggle a little bit less. It, it, it is clear that the distinction that Paul is making in this passage is be, between Christians and those who are not Christians between those who have placed their faith in Christ and those who have rejected the gospel of Christ. Those who are in the Spirit or who have the Spirit dwelling in them and those who 
are of the flesh or do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And verse 9 in in these verses makes that most clear. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So there's the two categories, right? In one or in the other. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So what makes the distinction? Whether the Spirit of God lives in you or not. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. This cannot be a reference to uh, spiritual believers and carnal believers. It is believers and non-believers. And his point is that the distinguishing mark of the believer is that he or she is one in whom the Holy Spirit lives, dwells, inhabits. He's taken up residence. And the mark of an unbeliever is that they don't have the Holy Spirit living in them. So in this passage, Paul is also not presenting the view that if you're walking in the Spirit... uh, which he's mentioned in verse 4, you know, the righteous requirement of law might be fulfilled in us who are walking according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. So walking, living, it's, a, it's the same idea. So if you're walking in the Spirit, is that only when you're actively following is leading and that when you walk in the flesh, that is a reference to that the Spirit of God abandons you and you know, walks away from you. You're no longer a Christian. It's not saying that for a variety of reasons. You take all the scripture that, that makes it clear that our salvation is secure because we're not saved by us doing anything, but by God doing everything on our behalf. But notice that he declares that you are no longer in the flesh if the Spirit of God dwells in you. And and the word dwells that is used here suggests the idea of permanent residence, not temporary shelter. It's like I, uh, I own a house. I live in my house. I dwell in my house. I am not like a homeless person who lives in a tent or under a tarp or is in a temporary shelter somewhere provided by others. That's the difference. The, the word is talking about permanent residence. It, it's, it's like John 1, 14. It says the word became flesh and dwells among us. It actually is a word that means he, he, he tented. He, he, he tented with us, a temporary, because he was going to be going back to heaven uh, after his crucifixion. So... Mm, You think of the Old Testament in particular, the Holy Spirit would come and go as to his influence in a person's life. You read about, for example, Samson, who, you know, the Spirit came upon him and he would do all these, you know, feats of strength. Had nothing to do really with his hair. It had to do with obedience to a command that, and if he was obedient, the Spirit of God would allow him to do feats of strength I mean, slaying all kinds of people, lifting up entire gates of a city and carrying it up on a hill, etc. Uh, knocking down a, a, a temple by pushing pillars over. Or you, th- you read about Saul, who the Spirit came upon him, and then later on the Spirit departed from him. And, and David, too, it says that the Spirit came upon him. 
And then David would pray in his prayer of repentance, Psalm 51. He says, oh Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because in the Old Testament, it wasn't really talking about indwelling. It was talking about influence that could come or go. But that is not the case in the New Testament. Not the result of of the gospel. The gospel results in the Holy Spirit taking up permanent residence in each believer. Um, and, And Paul says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, Ephesians 4 30. And that day of redemption is a reference to the day that we go uh, into the presence of the Lord and receive our glorified bodies. So we are sealed, held onto by the Holy Spirit because he dwells in us. And even Jesus himself promised his disciples that when he departed back to heaven, this, the Spirit would not only be with them, but would indwell them. He says, John fourteen sixteen and 17, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, paraclete, uh, an advocate, a comforter, an encourager, all these things the Holy Spirit is, to be with you, how long? Forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. That's the distinction that Paul's making, too. You either have the Spirit or you don't. And, 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 and the world, unbel- a world of unbelievers can't know him because they don't even recognize that he exists. They can't see him. They can't know him uh, unless they respond to him in, in repentance towards sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, you know him, you who believe in me. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So when Jesus ascended back into heaven and then the day of Pentecost took place shortly thereafter, 50 days later, and the the Holy Spirit descended and indwelt the church and every individual believer within it. And so Paul makes it clear that there are two categories of people, those who walk according to the flesh and those who walk according to the spirit. And he goes on to reveal some other things about them. The first thing that he reveals about them is that they have two dissimilar ways of viewing life. That's, if you're filling in your insert, that's what you would want to write in number one, two dissimilar ways of viewing life. That's verse five. Again, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So what Paul is indicating is that what we are, let me say that again, what we are governs where our focus lies. What we are governs where our focus lies. Literally, uh, and, and some translations or versions put it this way a little bit more accurately, for those who are according to the flesh and those who are according to the spirit. Their lives are according to what the flesh demands and suggests and so on. Or according, they adjust their lives to according to what the spirit says. So... What one is by nature determines how one views life. It's a worldview, right? 
a worldview. You can have a Christian worldview or a non-Christian worldview. If we're in the flesh, our focus, he says, will be on the things of the flesh because our old nature drives us in that direction. Right? If we walk in the flesh, we are of the flesh, etc., our focus will be on the things of the flesh because that is our nature. And our nature drives us, pushes us that direction. While if we're in the spirit, walking according to the spirit, our, our focus will be on the things of the spirit because the Holy Spirit will be leading us in that direction. He'll be leading us in that direction. Now I'm confident that that we who are believers are constantly aware of how differently we view the issues of life compared to those who are in the flesh. We who are indwelt by the Spirit see life differently than those who are in the flesh. You know, on things, we could just mention a few things like the sanctity of life. We, we view that entirely different. There, political battles all over our country now over that issue. How you view the sanctity of life. Or how about politics? Uh, man, do we know, notice the difference between those who do not have the Spirit and those who do have the Spirit. How they view the political events in our world. How about gender-related discussions? We see life differently, don't we? We view life differently than those who do not know Christ, do not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. Uh, the importance, Brian was hinting at, the, the importance of money and things and, 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 and so much more. And so much more. We view life differently than those who are in the flesh. Now, notice that the dominant phrase in verses 5 through 11, or particularly verses 5 through 8, is this. Set the minds. Set their minds. Or minds set on something. And that translates a, a Greek word. The Greek word is phreneo, which refers to more than simply thinking about something. I mean, there are words in, in the Greek that are just like, consider this. Think about this. Look at this. This word is a stronger term than that. It is a word that refers to occupying oneself with the, the things of the flesh or the things of the spirit. It is the matter of how, uh, what preoccupies us, the ambitions that we have that you know, compel us, the interests which engross us, um, how we spend our time, how we spend our money and where we put our energy it is to what we give ourselves. That's the, what is meant by set their minds. And it's either going to be set on the flesh or it's going to be set on the, the spirit. And, and so believers delight in contemplation of what the spirit is doing and wherever he's doing it. And unbelievers are those who do not have the spirit, have a life that is focus and concentrated on self, on you know, their own plans and purposes and agendas and so on and so forth. So very opposite of those who have the Spirit. So 
People view things, life, differently based on whether they are indwelt by the Spirit or not indwelt by the Spirit. And then he says that there are two different ends to those two different groups. That's verse 6. Two different ends. Notice. For the mind, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. What a great distinction that he makes. So to be of and in the flesh and having a focus on, in life on one's own plans and desires and enjoyment and acquisitions leads to death. Both to a death kind of life in the present and uh, eternal death and separation from, from God at the time of judgment. That's what he's saying. Set your mind to be preoccupied, engrossed with the things of the flesh. Ends in death. Both death. A death kind of life that can even end physical life. It can end in physical death. Uh, you know, overdose of drugs or driving recklessly or driving while intoxicated could end in physical death. But a death kind of life that ends physical uh, life as well. And, but more importantly, eternal separation. The second death is how it's put in the book of Revelations. Where, uh, you know, be of... And in the spirit, to be totally absorbed in the things of God is to experience life as God intended it to be, you know, in relationship with him, both in the present as well as when we are with him forever. So accompanying the life, he says that, you know, it's just death for the unbelievers. It's life and peace, you know, for uh, those who are indwelt by the spirit. And it's, so he says that accompanying life, both in the present and in, in the future, when we're with the Lord, is peace. Um, what is that? Well, it could be the peace of God, having been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. Or it could be a reference, and maybe intentionally including several things. It could be a reference to the Peace as the fruit of the Spirit. You know, Galatians 5, right? 22 and 23. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, self-control. Several things there. Peace is one of them. And, and it could be a reference to the peace of God that we receive, particularly when we are in times of anxiety. When we... The tendency might be to worry. So Philippians 4, 6, and 7, right? Stop being anxious, but through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, not peace with God, but the peace of God, his very peace, shall be yours. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So when you're going through Times or situations that might create anxiety, you pray about it, and then God's peace will yeah, envelop you. I love that. It will guard you. So this peace brings an enjoyment of all that reconciliation with God means, you know, a peace that pervades our whole life. 
and, and can't be dispelled by the conflict life brings through temptations or hardships or suffering or relational struggles. So, two categories of people who view life entirely different, who have two different ends, and then he says there are two different reasons that they have two different ends. And that's verses 7 through 11. So, in verses 7 and 8, Paul states the reasons, it's multiple, uh, why the, the mindset on the things of the flesh results in or ends with death. Listen to it. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the reasons are, it can either be two reasons or three, however you want to number them, three things to identify. Number one, the reason that they end in death is because they're hostile to God. They're enemies still of God. Romans 5 talked about it. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners and enemies and irreconcilable, Christ died for us so that we'd no longer be enemies but children of God and reconciled to God, he says. So those who don't have the spirit, they're hostile to God. Secondly, they do not and cannot submit to God's law. That's pretty powerful statement. It's not that they just do not. They absolutely cannot. That's Romans 7, isn't it? Even the person who says, yeah, I believe the law is good and it's righteous and holy and it should be kept. I I believe in the Ten Commandments. Um, They might not even be able to name one or two of those Ten Commandments, but if they could even name all ten of them, the truth is they can't keep them. They can't. Why? Because it takes the Holy Spirit leading us and fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law in us for them to be kept. So they cannot. And then number three, they're not able to please God. They're not able to please God. It's just not possible for them. it's, It's so interesting. You hear people talk about others like, I don't think they're Christian, but they're really good people. And, you know, I, I, think they, I think they believe in God and I think they, you know, they, they want to live for God and all of that. They're not able to if they don't have the Spirit of God living in them. And they don't have the Spirit of God living in them if they haven't repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. They're just not able to. So it, it should be clear upon reading this that Paul cannot be referring to believers who are either spiritual or carnal um, you know, he's, he, the language is too black and white, isn't it? It's too black and white to allow such a view. Believers are, in fact, friends of God. They're not hostile to God. They're not enemies of God. Believers do submit to God and his will revealed in his law. You see, they've stopped the struggle of doing it on their own and they have surrendered to the Spirit doing it in them. They can fulfill the law because it's actually the Spirit of God fulfilling it in them. So they do that. Believers do seek to please God. God puts that in their heart because God so loved them and delivered them, there's no other appropriate response other than to love and please God. That's what they want to do. Now, none of these things are true of 
unbelievers who do not have the Spirit indwelling them. So, in sharp contrast, Paul explains in verses 9 through 11 that it is believers who have the end, the result of life and peace, right? So just follow along as I read that. Think of it in these terms now. He's, he's, He's showing the different reason why believers have a different end than unbelievers. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Pretty black and white. You don't have the Spirit of Christ? You ain't his. And you, will, you, you might say, but, but, but Lord, I did many things in your name. And Jesus would say, depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. That's what Jesus said, right, as he was talking about that very thing. He goes on, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, I understand a lot of you might be thinking, this will take forever to go through that. You, you would be wrong in this case. I'm just going to point out two things about this uh, statement that Paul is making about those who have the Spirit dwelling in them. First first thing, upon reading these verses, it would do us well to see the inclusion of Trinitarian language. You know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the triune God is everywhere seen, particularly and most of all in the New Testament. And you see it right in this passage so clearly. It is God, as mentioned, God the Father, clearly. Jesus, the, the Son, is mentioned, and the Holy Spirit are each represented as responsible for the great transformation that takes place in the way that we view life, right? No, look at it again. Uh, you're, if you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God, the spirit of God, meaning God the Father there, dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ, what, 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 what do you mean? It's, is Christ a spirit? No, Christ is the Messiah. It's the Spirit of Christ because it's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and they are one. They are one. If Christ is in you, wait a minute, I thought the Spirit is indwelling me. He is for Christ. Christ is dwelling in you through the Spirit. And even though the body's dead, in other words, it will end up dying unless he returns before our physical death. The Spirit is life, a promise of eternal life, because of the righteousness of Christ being put on us. Not our own righteousness, obviously. So if the Spirit of him raises from the dead, that well, that's a reference to the Father, isn't it? The Father raised the Son of God from the dead um, through the Spirit. He did that, and he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will give life to our Mortal bodies. <laughs> What's joyful about that? Well, we go from mortal to immortal in a heartbeat. Right? That's how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 15. 
that which is mortal will put on immortality, that which is perishable will put on that which is imperishable. Uh, and, and that's in a twinkling of a, an eye, a blink. It's going to happen, and it happens through his spirit who dwells in us. So you're getting the big picture, right? This is all about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> great transformation that our great God is doing uh, in us. So ultimately, what he's saying is the reason believers gain life and peace is not because they're better people. <laughs> it's not because they're better people or because they keep the law more faithfully, but because they have trusted solely in the work of God through the sacrifice of the Son of God and through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It is this precious truth which gives Christians life and peace, which, by the way, unbelievers will never experience. Jesus himself said that, right? He says, I leave you peace, a peace which the world doesn't know. They can't understand it. Why? Because it, it, it happens when the Spirit of God comes into us. Okay. Paul moves from that the truth of the Holy Spirit indwelling believers, um, he, and what he's going to say is that, that that implies an obligation on their part to live according to his leading. And that's verses 12 through 13. So if you're filling in your insert, what you're going to want to write here is Jesus paid for our sin. We talked about that in verses 1 through 4. Jesus paid the penalty. He paid for our sin, but we still have a debt to pay. That's verses 12 through 13. So what he, he moves from what God has done through the sacrifice of Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit to what believers are expected to do in response to what they've been given. So look at those verses. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. As I was contemplating this again uh, this week, uh, an old hymn came to my mind. Uh, the words of an old hymn. The hymn is a debtor to mercy alone. A debtor to mercy alone, of covenant mercy I sing, nor fear with thy righteousness on my person and offering to bring. The terrors of law and of God with me have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. Yeah, I need not fear God when I come before him to worship him, why? Because my sin is not coming with me. It's already been paid for by Christ. God is not going to see my transgressions. He's going to see the righteousness of Christ on me. So then, this verse starts out. It's, it's really a double uh, conjunction. Therefore, so then, let me say it twice. Is kind of how it's written. So then, uh, it connects what he's just said about what God has done for believers in 9 through 11 with what he's about to say regarding the obligation of believers in regard to the Holy Spirit. 
There is a, an intentional movement that he is making. And the fact that he's referring to believers is again clear because he calls them brothers. So then, brothers. Referring not to men only, but to all those who are in the family of God. In fact, some, some, uh, you, some of your versions might have a little number by the word brothers. And if there's a little side note, that would say brothers and sisters. Because the word anthropos can be that general. It's a, it's, it's, in gender, it's male in its form, but it is broader than that. If he meant men only, he would use a different word. So brothers and sisters, he says, uh, listen to what I'm going to tell you. This is what I, you need to know. We're debtors. That's the key word. In, the, in these verses. We're, we're debtors. Oh, but did you notice something as I read that? Let's re- read it one more time. And I want you to notice that only the negative side is uh, spoken by Paul. The positive side is to be understood. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Here's the negative. Not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. And then he goes on and he talks about living according to the flesh. But isn't it understood? We are debtors, not to the flesh, but debtors to the spirit. Right? It's understood. So, we are debtors, not to the flesh, but to the spirit. And the the term debtors that is used can refer to a monetary debt, certainly. It's used that way, in fact, in Romans 13, where he says, Oh, no man anything except to love them. Don't owe them money. You know, you do have a, a debt of love to pay to everyone. And of course, it's used when Jesus is talking in parables. And he talks about a steward who is investing money or not investing money, you know. And, and, and then you got the wicked steward who, you know, is told by his master, I'm, I'm firing you. You're not doing a good job. And that steward goes out and he says, let me go to all the debtors and, and do a kind of a trick thing with them. If you owe, how much do you owe? Well, 100. Uh, we'll write it out for 80. And how much do you owe? Well, 50, you know, cores of wheat. And we'll write it out for 20. And, and, and the master ends up saying, wow, pretty good, steward. You're pretty shrewd in what you're doing with that. And it's a lesson about um, money in that passage. And that's how the word debtor is used there. But it can also be used of a logical and moral obligation that is owed to someone. And that's clearly what he's saying here. Believers are debtors in the sense of having a moral obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. It is, you know, a moral obligation to the spirit. So what's he saying? It's not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. What he's saying is it would be morally incongruent for believers who have been set free from the penalty and power of sin and set free from the penalty and power of the law to yield themselves to the pull of sinful passions. It would be just crazy to do that. And how very foolish for those who have the indwelling Holy Spirit not to use the available power to avoid giving in to sinful passions, which is represented by the flesh. What was that? Oh, yes, amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord for that. And feel free to say things. That's... 
good. I just didn't hear what you said. So it almost sounded like my wife speaking. I didn't know if I'd said something wrong and she was correcting me again. <laughs> She's my editor in chief. So that's good. So the, he explains the reason that believers should live according to the Holy Spirit. And it is stated negatively and positively. So negatively, those who live according to the flesh will die. Well, that's what he's just set up above, right? Those who, in verses 7 uh, through uh, 8, he, he said that those who live according to the flesh will die. He says it again here. And, and the meaning of this may be that unbelievers who do live according to the pull of the flesh are on the verge of paying the price. In fact, uh, there's a, a verb that is it's translated as will die, but it, it, it would be better translated as are about to die. It, it's right around the corner is how you should be thinking of it. Because you don't know how long is God is going to put up with your sin. You giving in to the flesh is it, about to die. Think of what God said in Genesis 6. Uh, you know, my, my spirit will not always you know, be patient with people. I mean, I give them 120 years to repent of their sin, and they didn't, and God flooded the world. Well, God is, is patient, but his patience can run out. And, and, and so, you know, it could be that. You're going to pay the price of physical death. It's right around the corner. Or, or it could be it's right around the corner for you to be eternally separated from the glory and presence of God because of sin. But since Paul is clearly speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ, it may mean that believers who at time, at certain times, give in to the pull of the flesh, they will experience a death kind of life when they do so. They're going to feel the misery, the pain, the, the sorrow of disobeying God because God is the loving Father and he will bring discipline into their lives when they do that to make them realize that they're, they're, they're messing up. God is that good. They, they will be experienced experience a life separated from the life and peace that God wants for them. You know, the life of blessings that God intends for his children. Now, positively, he says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the opposite is true, right? The opposite is true for believers who live and walk and focus on the things of the Spirit. They will enjoy the life of peace and victory and success and abundance that God intends. It is a life that can face disaster without despair. (laughs) It is a life that can face turmoil with peace of heart. And it is a life that can face pain with endurance. And it is a life that can face temptation with victory. So if you live by the Spirit... Uh, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live that kind of life. Now, there's a couple significant things to take note in this statement about putting to death the deeds or practices of the body. First, believers are responsible to do this. If you put to death the deeds of the body, notice that. The subject is you. You believers, right? You brothers and sisters. If you 
put to death the deeds of the body. So believers are responsible to do this. The action taken is done by, by believers. And, and the present tense of the verb uh, would be, you are putting to death, would be translation that would be better, you are putting to death the deeds of the body. You have to see that this is saying that this is something that you got to do day in and day out, moment by moment, because the, the, the pull of sinful passions doesn't let up, right? It doesn't let up. It's not sporadic. It's, it's availing us day by day. And so we are responsible to put those kinds of things to death. What kind of things? What are the deeds of the body then? which believers are, are to be putting to death. Well, I can just read you a verse, okay? I'll read you, actually, a couple verses that will give us a list of the deeds of the body. It's in Galatians five nineteen through 21, where Paul says, you know, those that do these deeds won't inherit the kingdom of God. What deeds? Well, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and other things like these. In other words, the list can go on and on. And so believers are morally obligated, morally obligated to put such things to death in their lives on an ongoing basis. That's what he's saying. You've got to put those things to death. But, secondly, we must note that Paul says that believers do this by the Spirit. Don't miss that. If you are putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, we simply don't have the power to do this on our own. He's already made that pretty clear in chapter 7 and 6. So think through this with me for a moment. This putting to death the deeds of the, the body. It requires an act of self-denial, right? An act of self-denial. But that is something that we are incapable of doing in our own strength. And this is where Paul's balanced view of life comes into play. It's wonderful. We are responsible to make these acts of self-denial, to put these things to death, but we can only do them by means of the Spirit of God who indwells us. So God, God knows. God knows this, that it would be an exercise in futility to command us to put, the death, put to death the deeds of the body in our own strength. And yet we must, we must not take it to the extreme opposite uh, view. Uh, and, and that would be that, you know, people would say, well, just leave it to the Spirit then. Just leave it to the Spirit. That, that's the old way that that was always put was let go and let God. You see, that is, is as out of order for us to expect the Spirit of God to do what we are commanded to do, as it is for us to believe that we can do what we're commanded to do in our own strength, apart from the Spirit of God. Both are wrong. So what must we do? We must cultivate dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We must. We must take steps to follow his teaching and his prompting, and, and through his strength, through his strength, say no 
to the promptings and the pull of the flesh. And the truth is, in saying no to the pull of the flesh, we are at the same time saying yes to the Holy Spirit. You see, these two choices are inextricably bound together. They are not going to happen if they're not together. You have to see that. You will not be doing the one without also doing the other. Uh, it's similar that, to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, young men, flee certain things. Pursue righteousness and holiness and honor, etc., etc. You have to flee in order to pursue. And if you don't flee, you're not pursuing. And the same is true here. We must put them to death, but we will not put them to death unless it is the Holy Spirit Uh, working in our lives. And he will go on to make that all the more clear as we come together next week to continue through this wonderful, encouraging, uplifting passage of Scripture that tells us how we can sin less and live life to the glory of God. Isn't that what you want to do? I want to do that. I'm motivated to do that. Uh, I want to honor Christ. Why? Because he loved me. He died for me so that I might become a child of God through faith. That's all. Just through not doing something, but believing something. Understanding that my sin was great. It was offensive. It was horrendous. And it would send me to an eternal separation from God if not dealt with. He dealt with it. And boy, when my eyes got opened to that, my life totally changed. When I trusted in Christ, my spirit was renewed, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And my way of life changed because my view of life changed. Because the end of my life changed. Because the Holy Spirit came in and changed it all. So... I'm excited to continue next week. Lord, we pray that, again, that you would have your way in in our lives. Um, This is such a deeply theological passage explaining your great work of salvation, Um, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. It's deep. It's very deep. And yet, as we go through it and we see it, For its depth, it also brings it right up to the surface of our life and it it helps us to see how we are to live differently because of what you've done for us. Now, in part, that will happen because you will bring it about. And what you began in us will be completed by you in us. And yet we see also that we have an obligation to submit ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So help us, Lord, to continue to grow in this and to come away from this with a a stronger desire to sin less and to live more holy for the glory and honor of God. We ask this all in Christ's great name. Amen.